This podcast is brought to you by Esri and is produced in collaboration with GovExec Studio 2G. Today's data-informed agencies are tasked with making quick and accurate decisions, and they're turning to GIS to gather insights and get answers. Explore the many ways Esri's GIS and mapping solutions can help your agency embrace a data-filled future at go.esri.com forward slash INSA podcast two. These days, maps are everywhere. Whether navigating to and from the office or analyzing location-specific threats from foreign adversaries, government and defense leaders rely on geospatial intelligence systems, or GIS, to glean real-time insights that help them make decisions. These AI-powered digital maps offer visualizations and analytics many of us couldn't even imagine just five or 10 years ago. But as with all data power technologies, agencies need to ensure they're tapping up-to-date, robust information to fuel their GIS tools and making use of best practices around data use and maintenance. For example, who's actually training the data used to populate these maps? And how are inherent and unconscious biases impacting their quality? These are the obstacles we'll tackle on this episode of Machine Morality, a podcast from Esri and GovExec Studio 2G, where we'll get to the bottom of some of government's biggest ethical AI challenges. I'm Tara Lerman, Deputy Editor of Branded Content at GovExec. And on today's episode, we're leaning on the expertise of defense and industry leaders who spoke at the recent webcast, AI and Ethics, Integrity and Geospatial Analytics. So without further ado, here are a few excerpts from their conversation. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us. My name is Patrick Tucker. I am the technology editor at Defense One, and it is my pleasure to welcome you to today's webcast, AI and Ethics, Integrity, and Geospatial Analysis, presented by INSA and Defense One, underwritten by Esri. The geospatial industry is rapidly expanding, and geospatial data is more widely available than ever. Given the enormity of the volumes of geospatial data, advanced analytic tools, including AI and machine learning, are being used more and more to help analysts uncover and research new areas, find new discoveries, and present findings that are gonna be of relevance to the national security community and the public at large. The use of AI and machine learning technology provides both opportunities and challenges though, and it raises some ethical concerns. So today we're gonna to discuss some of these issues related to geospatial data, AI, and the challenges of ensuring analytic integrity it's very relevant to you, regardless of whether or not you work in intelligence, if you support intelligence, or if you're just a consumer of news about geopolitical events, because more and more as we watch things unfold on real time on CNN, on Fox, across the internet, we're relying on geospatial analysis that connects human beings from different places to what's going on in a specific place. And our intelligence agencies are also there, and they have to do that times a thousand with a lot more data and with huge consequences for every decision that they make. So this is a big discussion about something that's very important. And joining me today, Dr. Barry Zuloff, IC Analytic Ombudsman at the Office of the Director of National Intelligence. Dr. Stephen Hall, Co-Chair of the Working Group for Automation, Artificial Intelligence and Augmentation at the National System for Geospatial Intelligence. Rhonda Schrenk, Chief Executive Officer at the US Geospatial Intelligence Foundation. Dr. Chris Tucker, Chairman of the American Geographical Society. And Osande Ozova, Senior Information Scientist at RAND. So thanks. Let me first go ahead with you, Barry. Give us a quick intro to who you are and tell us a little bit about your concerns 
about using artificial intelligence and machine learning in the context of geospatial analysis. Thanks for the introduction, Patrick. I am the Intelligence Community's Analytic Ombudsman. That's an appointment that I have from the Director of National Intelligence. The statutory authority behind that under IRTPA, the Intelligence Reform and Terrorism Prevention Act, Section 1020. Specifically, that responsibility is to ensure that the analytic tradecraft standards apply in all forms of intelligence, whether they're written intelligence or whether they are in image-based intelligence, as is the case in GeoInt. It's a truism that an image is worth a thousand words or images don't lie. That's a truism that doesn't necessarily make it true. My concern in this area is mostly around the possibility or indeed the probability that our own biases, our own potential politicization can intrude into the use of images in geospatial intelligence. What do I mean by that? Specifically, standard number one says that we as intelligence analysts have to be able to describe the underlying sources, methodologies, and data for our intelligence. If we don't understand what is inside that black box that is a piece of artificial intelligence, an algorithm or something that's manipulating data, presenting us with an image and saying to us, yep, that's a tank, or no, that's a garden hose, we need to understand how that works so that we can explain it to our customers. If we don't do that, we're doing essentially the same thing as saying, trust me, the machine says so. And that's not good enough for our national security decision makers when lives and countries' blood and treasure are on the line. If we're not careful, the data that we use to train that artificial intelligence to identify images or to figure out what is in those images can pick up the biases that we unintentionally put into it. I think that's a great point. And we're going to get into biases in just a second in a big way, because the thing about them is that they're invisible to the people that harbor them, and they can be very invisible to institutions too. That's why they perpetuate. But before we do, I want to go to you, Chris, because we've just heard from Barry a little bit about how you incorporate ethical practices and policies into the practice of analyzing intelligence in the context of machine learning. Help me understand what the ethical principles are that relate to geo anyway, and then how the age of machine learning presents a sort of unique challenge to that. What is ethical geo? Thanks for asking. Yeah, I feel like the ethical AI discussion got a jump on us in the geo community, and we learned a lot from the ethical AI discussion for a few years before we were able to really kickstart the ethical geo conversation out there. AI is snuck into every technical system, and whether it's bias or some other dimension of it has led us to think through what are the second and third order effects. But location tech, geospatial tech, has been at the heart of our national security community and even our lives out there and in the real world, right? We all have Google Maps on our phone for a really long time. And bias, we have a little more texture there in geo where we're worried about location privacy, right? We're worried about can people track us in our most intimate moments? Can geospatial data actually influence our politics, whether it's through gerrymandering or voter suppression? Can it undermine the most vulnerable and marginalized among us of our people? Can it prevent us from taking care of our planet? 
and property rights. People kind of forget about the whole capitalist system is built on property rights and delineating a lot of property geospatially is a big thing. So when you talk about bias, the bias twists and turns in each one of those little pieces of ethical geo dimension. And then, of course, AI is getting used all over the world of geo, whether it's with satellite imagery or with drones or with all of our telemetry data streamed off of our cell phones. And so we talk about ethical AI and we talk about ethical geo. We've come to really talk about ethical geo AI. I mean, it's all smashing together at the speed of light and all the AI is just bringing it all it's all manifesting at machine speeds. So whatever bias is there is manifesting on us in our lived experience, in our real world at machine speed. And that gets a little frightening and requires us to kind of invest some forethought in how we harness these technologies. So let me turn to you, Asanda, because I'm only beginning to understand my own propensity towards selecting biased sources. And I feel like I can guard against it pretty well but I feel like the entire problem of bias is one that's too large for an individual to really be aware of. So in your studies, what have you learned that's useful to this discussion about bias at its kind of core level that we should keep in mind when we try and apply ethical practices to geospatial intelligence analysis? I think on this particular point, the issue of the broadness of the question of bias is pivotal. Every as every time we do studies on fairness and algorithms, the question of what exactly does bias mean becomes like the primary foundational question for that process. And I have some bad news for you. I don't think you're ever going to be fully bias-free in, in any process you, you work through. And the trick has usually been to recognize that fact and essentially put in place systematic guardrails to help you recognize when a bias might be relevant. So in the standard workflow with machine learning models, if you're worried about being fair, then you would say, okay, every time I create a model, I do this process called disaggregated evaluation, see how the model works on different subgroups. Now, that doesn't mean your model, if it satisfies the criteria for disaggregated evaluation, that doesn't mean your model is good because you can still consider it in a particular context a, a different form of bias that you have not tested for in your systematic process is relevant, should be done. And so you have this process that's part of your standard analytic workflow, and you're at the same time listening to your constituents, the people who are affected by your models, as to what potential new forms of biases should you be worried about in your process. So unfortunately, there is no magic bullet. You're always going to have to be permanently vigilant against different forms of biases. Systematic processes help, and I think that's as good as we get. So we have to keep thinking about it, keep worrying about what new forms might arise. Uh, the other angle on this is the question of bias. I think uh, Chris's point on the different ethical dimensions of, of GeoAI is really important. I glommed down to one particular point. He made this idea of the ethics of geolocation services. I'll dive into that in a bit, but I think the question of bias, we need to understand it's generally a question of how we treat people, how we treat different types of people. So when you're thinking about the ethics of geographic geospatial data analysis, you have to think about what part of that analytic workflow focuses on people. And this issue, in this case, we're talking about geolocation. Are people who are of minority status more uniquely identifiable by their geolocation traces? That's a biased question. Now, if you're talking about artificial intelligence applied to just images, 
of Earth, the question of bias is not quite as salient because that is a determination that's focused on images of things as opposed to people. So I just want to make that distinction. Steve, if we take us on this cue, bias is something that is kind of inevitable. You have to expect to have a certain amount of it. And so if it is inevitable, no matter what process we're going through, how can we use it to our advantage to improve our ability to actually detect it, to make sure that it doesn't have a, a disruptive effect on what we're doing? How, in your line, are you beginning to understand bias and new techniques for mitigating it? That's a great question. I'd love to make a few comments on that. First thing I'd like to do is just a, a brief comment on bias in general. You know, oftentimes when we talk about bias, we're talking about the social and cultural forms of bias, but really in machine learning, it's about the statistical bias that's in the data. Anything that can skew your model in one way or another could be considered bias. It, it may be social, it may be cultural, it may be something entirely different. Our job is to not necessarily eliminate it, as Asande was saying a moment ago, but to anticipate it and expect it and understand how we can mitigate that, to your point. One of the key things that we can do in order to help limit the effect that bias has on our machine learning algorithms is to ensure that we've got a diverse source of data that's coming in, so not looking at just one or two sources. As you mentioned a few minutes ago, you've got a lot of open source areas where you might be able to pull some information from, but how do you know where some of those sources are coming from and the agendas that may come with it? The more diversity that you build into it, the more likely we are to balance out some of that bias that's there. Once it's there, once we can recognize it, there's a number of ways that you can remove it. You can certainly remove it programmatically. You could put in synthetic training data. There's other ways to remove it as well. But the key is to make sure that we expect it and we address it and we're actually looking for it in ways that would typically be different than how we would look for bias in general human interactions. Similarly, with the individuals that are collecting all this data, machine learning and AI lives and breathes off of the training data that we feed it, and that is human-driven. Uh, so the more diversity that we have in the individuals that are actually collecting that data is going to help reduce some of that bias as well. Now, that being said, as we look at kind of the oversight or governance of artificial intelligence, the parties that are most likely to be disenfranchised by artificial intelligence are those that the model is supposed to be working with. So as we're evaluating its effectiveness, you really want to have those individuals that are most likely to be disenfranchised with it to have an outsized voice on how it's actually operating. So let me turn to you because one of the other points that's come up is this question of data quality and security and beginning with sort of first principles on ensuring not just a wide diversity of different data sources, but also ensuring quality and security in the data that you're putting into your process. Can you tell us a little bit about how USJF views that right now? Thank you for having me on. Let me just frame it up a little bit. So I'm a lifelong geoenter and I have seen this come so far. So our remote sensing or geospatial ecosystem, it's vast as we've been talking about and it continues to grow. And geospatial intelligence today takes us far beyond traditional imagery analysis and cartography to now providing key dimensions of location and interconnectivity to every data point. But data in isolation has limited value, right? And that gets to the analysis piece. It's when those disparate data sets to include the exponential increase of number and types of globally available data is, and by and large, commercially produced data are combined that new actionable insights are delivered. 
And then as a part of this discussion, the data techniques such as artificial intelligence and machine learning are being used to correlate massive previously intimidating data sets as a former analyst, allowing them to be used in new and creative ways, and sometimes in ways that were not necessarily intended when the data was produced. So all of that comes together to say, wow, we're delivering on these advances to higher resolution outputs, three-dimensional renderings, in some cases, independent of cloud cover. So bringing that together, as a result, some of the things that we can understand now are locations of ships, levels of reserves in oil, terminals, forest health, construction, progress, impact in natural disasters, where we started to go with car and foot traffic, and much, much more. So how do we make sure that we understand that data? Some of the concerns that I have that keep me up at night around that to include intellectual property rights, privacy and data protection, data quality and liability, and national security to include access by bad actors and potential misuse. Geospatial intelligence was born to help provide context to data and combined with the machine at the very high level, those are some of the opportunities that we're seeing coming out of that. More efficient management of big data and calibration practices. I remember sitting in a conference room 20 years ago saying, as a, a classified intelligence analyst, we'll never get the stuff in the building that's coming from the commercial providers. I'll never get to have that on my workstation. I think maybe a couple of you have experienced that way, way back. And that light table that we worked on that's now the Smithsonian was my current day workstation. I am so excited with the ability to harness that plethora of data for identifying patterns, for providing useful information. I'm so excited about the opportunities, especially when it comes to national security and better understanding our world and being able to predict what's coming next. I would like to thank you all for joining me today. I'm gonna to turn the program over to cartography product engineer and writer at ArcGIS Pro mapping team at Esri. So over to you guys. Hi, I'm Edie Punt. I'm a cartographer, writer, and product engineer on the ArcGIS Pro team here at Esri. So we just heard a great discussion about bias and ethics in the interpretation and analysis of geospatial information. And what I wanna cover now are a few ways to avoid bias in cartography. As a cartographer, you're using spatial data to reveal a narrative and you have a responsibility to stay as faithful to that reality of that data as possible. Someone is going to be making real decisions based on the maps you make at some point. But even if you're not a cartographer, understanding what goes into making maps will help you read and interpret maps with a critical eye. Maps are a connection between spatial data, the cartographer, and the reader. But maps, especially computer-generated maps, actually have this inherent air of authority. They just look really important. And that gives the cartographer sort of an extra ethical responsibility to make sure that we're communicating clearly with that data and we're not inadvertently making falsehoods with what we display. Now, there are three aspects of cartography that are particularly prone to bias. These are not the only three, but these are the three I'd like to cover today. These are collection, classification, and display. 
So essentially use the right data, use it properly, and portray that data faithfully. Digital mapping has become ubiquitous. Everyone is familiar with the online maps that let you zoom in and out almost seamlessly. We don't even notice with that slippery interface that we're actually going between discrete map scales. And it makes us feel like we can access ever more deeper detail with just the spin of our mouse wheel. Now, this actually isn't quite true. And indeed, you need to understand the scale of the data that you're collecting or that you're using and ensure that you do not display digital data at a scale larger than it was collected, because to do so really implies a level of precision that just simply isn't present in your data. Also in the realm of collection, if we think about selection, we can't map everything. So selection is the most fundamental thing that makes cartography subjective. We tend to think about selection in terms of making good selection choices from the available data we have. But it's important to understand that selection also occurs even before that in the collection of the data. So in addition to understanding what data was selected, it's imperative to understand what and who is reflected in the data you have. So some questions to ask yourself, is my data inclusive? Am I mapping data in such a way that I have adequate diversity? Can I ensure privacy of the data? of the people reflected in my data? Is the data authoritative? How am I going to express that? Classification is generalization. It's generalization of the values of the data. And we do this in order to see trends. Mapping just raw data is hard to interpret for your reader. It's kind of the equivalent of, do you show a table of raw values or do you make it into a chart that's understandable? Now, qualitative data uses differential symbology, and it's pretty easily understood, and we're not going to go into it here. More prone to bias in cartography and more prone to misunderstanding is how quantitative data gets mapped. This is where we take groups of numeric data and package them into numeric containers and try to show trends in those numeric values. Color tends to captivate map readers. There's emotional and cultural connotations with color. And it's imperative that you try to map in harmony with this. The more you understand this and use it to your advantage, the better. Try not to oppose this in your color choices. And especially be very aware of mapping social constructs, especially when you're choosing colors for racial or gender statistics. We like to think of changing hue as purely nominal or equal choices. But actually, some colors are much lighter, like yellow, than darker ones, like purple. And so even when you think you're choosing just two different but equal colors, you can imply hierarchy just with lighter versus darker. And lastly, I want to talk about text. Text is the final dressing on your map. It's the last chance to emphasize and support all the things that graphical aspects of your map are saying. So use this power wisely and use it sparingly. Label features according to their actual hierarchy. Be aware that typeface style, weight, size, color, these can all impact and imply relative importance. Be particularly aware when labeling place names and borders. Is it appropriate to use exonyms? That's the name outsiders ascribe to a place. Or is it better to use the endonym? That's the way a population self-describes their own place. Be aware of how you label disputed borders landless nations. 
And finally, make the title relevant, accurate, and sensible. That was Esri's Edie Punt. Thanks, Edie, for those fascinating insights. And thanks to our listeners of this episode of Machine Morality. If you like this episode, you can find more on govexec.com forward slash podcasts. And be sure to join us next time as we address the issue of bias in critical infrastructure and threat data. Thank you for listening to Machine Morality. Machine Morality is produced by GovExec Studio 2G in collaboration with Esri. GIS is revolutionizing how government agencies operate. From public safety to national security, today's agencies are looking to dynamic mapping to help them visualize data and glean real-time insights. Esri's GIS and mapping solutions are here to help. Find out how at go.esri.com forward slash insa podcast two.